Welcome back to the Gentleman Ultra Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Hall, and I am joined today by Sidia commentator and TGU regular David Ferrini. And we are talking about Bari today. And you might think, why? Because we're doing Bari's best team of the 1990s. And so I'm going to just ask you straight off the bat, David, a question here, because when we look at our analytics on the site, we see that the likes of Juventus get an incredible amount of hits. Inter, Milan, Napoli, obviously, and we know why. You know, when we know that if there's a, an article about Maradona, it's going to go well. But right up there, normally, and it has been at number one on many an article, number two, number three, is Bari. And people are fascinated by Bari. And considering their 1990s um, tenure in Serie A, was questionable, he's up and down and up and down. Why do you think it's Bari, David? Well, I think when you, uh, and by the way, thanks for the introduction. Happy to be here once again. I'm glad that you consider me a regular. Um, Yes, sir. (laughs) uh, But Bari in the 1990s, I mean, everyone had, uh, you know, obviously Inter, Juve, Milan supporters and beyond. They all had a couple of teams that they enjoyed watching on the side. They didn't want to really admit they were closet fans of, of teams like Bari. And on top of that, uh, so many uh, great players played there in the 90s and they were that club that could always bomb one of the big four. Uh, I remember Bardi took out Inter. They, they beat them four. <laughs> that's uh, taken all of three minutes. Yeah, it took all of three. So <laughs> that's for Emmett, that one. But um, <laughs> Excuse me, uh, Inter supporters. But that is the calibre of what they had and what they could do on their day in the 90s. And, you know, they were relegated twice in the 90s. They came up and down. They were fighters. That's what people love to see. Serie A was by far the best league in the world. Uh, it was hotly contested. Uh, Bari's uh, glory years, so to speak, were pre-Bosman. So it was in that era where you had eight Italians in the side and three really, really good foreign players. You know, top calibre. So that is what attracted people to Bari. And apart from that, uh, you know, as the TGU article uh, on the Bari Best 11 says, ninth biggest socioeconomic centre uh, in Italy. It's not a small town. It's in the lovely region of Puglia. It's what people love to see in the summer. That's they go to the beach. Puglia is the place to go, along with, you know, Sicily and uh, the, the Amalfi Coast. Bari was just sensational. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned the TGU article there, the, uh, the article uh, Bari's Team of the 1990s and written by a good friend of ours, Francesco Amesbury. Thank you for that. Please go and check it out online. It's a great piece by Francesco and we thank him for the base to this podcast. You're right when you say about a beautiful part of the world. It's a place I've always wanted to go and haven't been. But I think there's two more things, David, and correct me if I'm wrong here, that seem to really bring us to... Bari, especially from a UK perspective, one potentially because of a man we'll probably talk about soon, David Platt, going here to Bari. It was quite, um, for people in the UK, it brought them onto the scene. Um, so maybe that's why we get so much traction from the UK with Bari. Um, and for all the reasons you said, but also as well, the San Nicola, the White Elephant, the never finished stadium, the spaceship, it's something else and it's so pointless at the same time. And the one thing we have to talk about is the kits. I mean, people love a Bari kit. It's like yeah. the holy grail. The one that's on this article from Francesco, uh, that's one of the holy grail kits, hasn't it? Yeah, it's got that diamond-shaped uh, you know, top ridge up, uh, you know, up the top going along the shoulders and down the sleeve. Amazing. I mean, the, those early 90s Serie A kits are, are, are so you know, They are simply amazing. And the Bari one in particular... You know, the all white with the, with the red diamonds, oh, superb. So, uh, you know, they also had a, a couple of other good ones, but this one in particular that Francesco's put there uh, probably is the best. Absolutely. We, I'm not going to talk about the San Nicola. We have another podcast uh, specifically on the San Nicola, which you can go and listen to. It was on the basis of uh, 
but the Bari Brits, the British man based in Bari, Jeremy Bowling, who obviously lives there, and I think he's a season ticket holder, if I'm not mistaken, and he wrote a fantastic piece about uh, about the, the stadium, the building of it, the the beauty of it, the pointlessness of it, the the great nights and the, the very grim nights, and the controversial train station that no one believed us about, <laughs> that was never finished and caused a bit of controversy. Um, so let's get straight to it, shall we? The idea of this is I'm going to go through Francesco's article and we're going to reminisce about these players at the time. Um, again, you know, this is a team as, uh, you know, David mentioned before, just so difficult to judge. I mean, just for one thing, you look at the 95-96 season and you remember that Milan side? Well, Bari beat them 1-0, but in the same season, they get stuffed 7-1 by Cremonese. So, you know, this is a team who you just can't predict. Uh, so it's got some potentially controversial characters uh, in the sense of uh, the players that made their name here. We're gonna, I'm going to go through the team and uh, uh, David, I, I, well, I challenge David to just come up with a few suggestions of alternatives potentially. Sure. Okay. Uh, just to see if... No, I mean, listen, I, I love this 11 that uh, Francesco's put together, but there were so many players we thought it'd be interesting to just to see just how many players they had in that era. And uh, yeah, and, and obviously how they could have done maybe better or I don't know. Lots it's, of it's, talent. And, and, you know, as we said before, they went up and down twice in the yeah. 90s and uh, they were fighters. So uh, a lot of these names will stun a few people. And you probably didn't realise that they played there or started their careers mm. there or needed a, an injection in their careers and were sent on loan. So let's kick it off. Yeah, definitely. So in goal, we've got Alberto Fantana. He's there from 93 to 97. A man I know particularly well because he was at Inter. He was a sub-keeper um, in the early noughties. Um, and he also kept a clean sheet in the Milan derby, as Francesco writes. And he was nicknamed the Flying Grandad because he did play up until the, 2008, where he retired at 41. Uh, one of the oldest players to play in Serie A. My memories of him were, as, as, as Francesco puts it quite here, a dependable number two. But maybe that's why, I mean, we could, who, could you, who do you think could be there instead? Well, look, you can't complain with Fontana in this 11. There for four years, he, he was right there in, in the meat of the 90s. Uh, another name, Francesco Mancini, uh, another yeah. goalkeeper uh, who sadly passed away, by the way, in 2012, uh, mm. at the age of just 43. But he played 95 games there at Bari in Serie A. Uh, he came in in 1997 after Fontana left. And then after Mancini left, obviously, people remember Jean-Francois Gillette and uh, yes. Gillet, who took his place in uh, 2000, the Belgian. Uh, but, but Mancini played uh, just under 100 games, but Fontana did play 133 at Bari in the mid-90s and therefore deserves. He has the merit and he deserves this spot in the best 11, I think. But Francesco Mancini is a, a solid number two in the squad. Absolutely, and unfortunately... Gillet or Gillet, uh, he has to miss out because he's only 2000 he started in, isn't it? So yeah. he's just just missed. But Fantano is a good choice. Now, right backs. Let's get into the defence. Right backs. Yes, Gianluca Zambrotta, legend 97 again. to 99. Legend. Uh, you Put it right. Played on both flanks in the defence. Can play midfielder, wide attacker. <clears throat> he arrived in '97, and it was that season, as Francesco says, that Bari and Zambrotta would have. Well, Zambrotta would have his breakout season. A regular straight from the off. Mid-table finishes '98-'99, and Zambrotta went on to have a. Obviously, we know the career he had. The fact that he went to play on with Juventus, Barcelona, Milan, three Scudetti, three Italian Cups, a Spanish Super Cup. Nominated for the Ballon d'Or in 2003. And won a World Cup. And won a World Cup. Yeah. Are you going to throw some... You can't throw another one out here, can you? Look, I can only mention a few other defenders, but look, I'll, I'll go with German-born Italian centre-back uh, Gaetano De Rosa, who, is it, who does play in the middle, but um, did play on the right sometimes. He was mm. there in the late 90s. Uh, we'll go with Marcello Montanari, actually. Who, yeah. who was a different style defender to Zambrotta, but he was there for five years. He, he, he actually came over from Inter and then uh, obviously left uh, in, in less um, famous circumstances and went to Lucchese. But, uh, you know, 57 Serie A games at Bari. He was there for a bit longer than Zambrotta. Um, he did play in that Inter side with Brema. I'm trying to, I'm trying to sex it up here. Mateus Berti, <laughs> uh, Dino Baggio, Desideri, yeah. Massimo Ciocci, but... I think Zambrotta deserves it. 
Yeah, I, I think so. It's difficult, isn't it? Even when you look at Zambrotta there, it's just a defective. That's where it all began. And uh, yeah, his career went on to yeah. be quite good. Montanari, so, I guess, is the Poundland version of uh, a Franco Baresi <laughs> or, or a Zambrotta. So. I don't know what, that, a Poundland version of the Franco Baresi is still a compliment. Still good, that says, okay, yeah, yeah, it's not yeah. bad. Uh, Centre-backs, we're going to start with Lorenzo Amoruso, 91-95. So that's a decent stint. Um, look, you know, he was a great centre-back personally. He came through the you set up in the 80s, very uncompromising defender. Yeah. Uh, you know, he did have some loan spells, though, which you need to, as Francesco alludes to, with Mantova and others, and he became like a fan favourite of Bari in that era. Um, of course, you know, you've got to look at the character of this guy as well. Uh, he ended up moving, obviously, to Fiorentina and have success with Coppa Italias and Super Cups. And for British viewers, you all know that he joined Glasgow Rangers and won three titles and seven domestic cups. That's, so That's huge. I mean, yeah. and what also, you know, absolutely deserves to be in this eleven. As one of the centre backs, uh, four years there, he went down, then came back up with Bardi. And also, I might mention, um, he's part of the Serie A commentary team. Uh, he's one of the co-coms that do, does the games with us in uh, the north of Italy. So and he, he's there. So British viewers will also know him from the telecast on the on the Italian world feed for Serie A this season. I did not know that. Yeah, he speaks English quite well, and obviously from his time in Scotland. He's still got the accent, but it's you know one of those endearing things that that we're doing for the world feed. So, the three titles and uh, you know in in Scotland uh, with Rangers, first Catholic to captain the side, yes, as the article yes. points out. Um, yeah, brilliant, brilliant inclusion. So we're gonna we're not even so for Amarusa, we're not even gonna put anyone else against it. Well, I mean, there's another centre-back to in the team. Perhaps we should uh, name both of them and then I'll come up with a couple of possible, you know, alternatives. Yeah. So another one with three-year service, Luigi Sala. Sala, as the article points out, as you said before, is a tall, elegant central defender and he would complement Amoruso perfectly in this team. He started out with Como, moved to Bar in 95, but then was relegated with them in his first season. But he was an important component that got them back up and uh, into a team that went on to finish 11th in Serie A in 98. At the time, Francesco points out, he was one of the best young defenders at the time there. And he Which snapped up by... Call. Yeah, in this era. It yeah, is a yeah, massive call. And then to be snapped up by Milan. Um, yeah, it is huge. Uh, when, obviously, they won the Scudetto victory uh, in 1999. And that was the only trophy his career. So realistically, you know, okay, you went on to have a solid career and played with Atalanta and Sampdoria, never capped for Italy, as it points out here. Um, but yes, he was also, there's a little bit of a, a bit of controversy as well in there, wasn't there, with the betting scandal. So uh, he did receive a two-year ban. So maybe for this, we can look for an alternative. Okay, well, in that case, I'll go with uh, Giovanni Lozetto, who, who was there mm. in, the, in the very early 90s. He, he played 100 games in the top flight for Bari, mainly was with the club in Serie B, though, obviously, in, in, the, in the earlier years. He, I mean, he joined the club in 1982. I, mean, I think that season, Roma won the Scudetto. So that's how long he spent, you know, 11 seasons in, in Bari. Also, there was a Moroccan defender there in the late 90s, uh, Rashid Necruz, played as a, you know, central back, a sweeper mm -hmm. role, uh, height and strength, good reading of the game over 100 games there. And Duccio Innocenti, who probably is more suited to replace Zambrotta if Zambrotta came off injured in his best 11, because obviously he is the certain starter on the right side. Uh, Innocenti played um, 80, 90 games and uh, before taking off to Lazio. And he, he was a, uh, a defender that came over in the late 90s as well. So, you know, these are names that, are, that can do a job, but, uh, and, and also in the 90s, three subs. So uh, hardly any of these players would probably make it on, maybe five, 10 minutes here and there, but uh, in today's game, we've got five substitutions. Perhaps they get more game time in, in the modern era. But Innocenti, Lozetto, Necruz, uh, Montanari and De Rosa, they're not exactly names that even some of the, you know, purest Bari supporters would, would have, <laughs> you know, they wouldn't have a, have a Bari shirt with Lozetto. <laughs> but that, that's all I've got in, in terms of uh, defensive alternatives. I'm, I'm fairly certain the midfield is going to get 
a lot sexier though. It certainly will, but I think the left back gets a lot sexier because Robert Yarny is one of my. I used to love this guy. Um, I always thought it was. I don't know. Just a, I thought it was beyond his time. Um, as listen, you know, Francesco says he was a flying left back of a generation of Croatians who lit up European football following the breakup of Yugoslavia. Yeah. Um, started himself at Hadjuk Split, and then came across. In the same season, and you mentioned the foreigners rule before, but he came across it with David Platt and fellow Croatian, we'll talk about later, Zvonimir Boban. Yeah. Uh, and even with those players at the time, they couldn't uh, escape uh, relegation. He obviously stayed on with another season with Bari before going to Torino, which I also remember him from a lot from there. And if, look, this guy went on and played for the likes of Juventus, where he'd win a league and a cup double. He'd go to Real Madrid, where he lifted the Intercontinental Cup, represented Yugoslavia before the international break. I think it was at 1990. I might be wrong here. I don't know. I first saw him, but yeah, I also... Did. Yeah, he. but it was a Croatian national team uh, in Euro 96, which again, you know, a lot of English... Uh, British um, listeners will remember as well, well as everyone else actually um, but yeah he was for me and if I can add something else to this if I don't re- well I think I remember didn't he have an amazing ability from dead ball situations as well I'll have to check on his goal record but uh, yeah I'm he was I'm sure you're right there and, and look as you said uh, he started off with Yugoslavia they broke up what a career with Croatia but more importantly, yeah. with Bardi in those two seasons, I mean, that, that's what um, allowed him to develop on, you know, on a serious world stage, coming over from Eidrug Split, uh, going from Bardi, ended up with Torino and Juve uh, before heading off to Spain. But, you know, three goals in, in 50 or so games for Bardi is, is quite a performance in that era of the game where you were up against the best players in the world on a weekly basis. So yeah, he definitely deserves his, his role in his best 11. Definitely, definitely, definitely. So we're going to move on and we're going to move on to the uh, the midfield. So I just mentioned him a minute ago. Zvonimir Boban. Uh, I mean, this guy, again, just the memories. But, you know, it's uh, he was, uh, you know, what a player. Um, very, uh, well, you could say about controversy as well, but we'll probably leave a little bit of that out the very early years. Uh Played for Dynamo Zagreb at 16, as Francesco points out. His technical ability, leadership qualities led him to captaincy just three years later. Um, you know, six years with the club, Boban scored 45 goals, 109 appearances. Yeah. And then, as I mentioned, those events, which we don't need to go into now, on May the 13th of 1990, are infamous. Um, for me, you know, you, you look at Boban and uh, you can just talk for it hours about this guy's ability huge talent uh, huge talent huge talent and, Put away you know, 45 goals in, in 109 games for Dinamo Zagreb where he captained that side at 19 years of age it's just not even it's just that was unbelievable unbelievable yeah uh, because the biggest club in, in Croatia for a start this, that's where if you think as well yeah exactly but as well the standard there at the time you know, if you think about the old European Cups, a lot of those Eastern European teams that it was classed as at the time did really well and the standard was high. They're unbelievable. I mean, when you think about football back then, it was only one team in what we know now as the Champions League from each European nation. And so all the best uh, of the best Croatian players would go and play for clubs like Dinamo Zagreb. And that's how they ended up doing well in, in Europe. And, and, you know, we can remember these players from World Cups as well, uh, but at that time to play for Dinamo Zagreb and smash in 45 goals mm. in so few games, uh, you know, he also kicked out of the police officer. That was his <laughs> bit of controversy yeah. where he actually excluded him from, from playing in Italia 90 for yeah. Yugoslavia. Uh, but yeah, he's part of that Yanni generation, Roberto Yanni. Uh, and, and, you know, he scored a couple of goals at Bari in his season there on loan from Milan. But great player. I mean, played very well, flat is... and, and, and under, under Bonjek, I might add. Yes, yes, very true. This is the question I've got for you, though, David, because whilst, you know, at Milan, he wins the European Cup, Super Cup, for Scudetti in the Italian Super Cup, uh, brilliant player, legendary yeah. player of the era at Milan. We talked about how he started off. He did only play 17 times for him and got two goals. So whilst either side of Bari and at an international level, I mean, you just made me think there they were played in Italian 90 alongside Prozanecki and Stojkovic and I mean oh wow they could have done even 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 better than yeah well, they, that could have been incredible um but you know is there an alternative here because 
There's a Who few, else is a legendary name? There's quite a few. Uh, look, considering that Boban only only played the one season at Bari, obviously we remember him mostly for his Milan stint, and that gives him a little bit bit extra oomph to, to make this Bari eleven. And I'm not saying he shouldn't be in there, but there are some very very good alternatives. And I will start with uh, the likes of Gerson, who was there nice. two stints at Bari, the Brazilian. Um, he went from Bari to, to Fenerbahce and, and to Lecce and back in the mid-90s uh, before eventually retiring in Brazil. But he scored, uh, you know, half a dozen goals in Serie A. He was diminutive. He was skillful as an attacking midfielder. Um, and he's one. He's one of the, of, the, of the Bari midfielders I'll go with here. Also, Michele Marcolini, central midfielder that played yep. from 1997. Uh, people remember him for later in his career uh, at, at Kievo Verona, but he had quite a good stint with Bari. Ixel Osmanovsky, also yes. another one. He, and, and, I'll, and I'll name him because look, he joined in 1998, but he's, he was one of the top scorers for Bari in that decade. He, he, he only scored seven that season, but still, credible. Better than Boban's two, for example, but he's not, he's not as one of me, Boban. So, um, <laughs> you know, he, he was he's also part of the um, Zlatan documentary, docu-movie that's uh, circulating. And, and he, you can see him there uh, talking with, an, with a 17-year-old Zlatan Ibrahimovic. <laughs> um, yeah, if you haven't seen that, go and watch the, the documentary on Zlatan, by the way, as a, as a, as a side note. But, um, yeah, he, he scored seven goals. Great midfielder in the attacking sense. Daniel Anderson and also Kenneth Anderson as well. Yeah, yeah. I'd throw in Klaus Ingerson maybe. Yeah. But yeah, there's, there's, there's they had some good midfielders. They Francesco really did. Oh, what about Maro Bressan? I mean, he spent, he spent uh, 60, 70 games at Bari. Only just got the one goal there, but we all remember him for that wonder goal. I think it's been voted as the best or one of the top three Champions League goals of all time. The, the, the goal that he scores against Barcelona from 25 yards is like an overhead kick uh, yeah. in 99-2000. But he was at Bari as well. Yeah. It's, it's strange, isn't it? Because like when you say like people like... Well, we'll go on to the next person, but I'm going to reference Kenneth Anderson here as well because Bari did play some players um, and gen technically changed them because I think sometimes... In that era, and we will come to the forwards later on, but people like Kent Anderson were deployed in midfield as he was for Sweden at some point. Yeah. But then it obviously reverted to a centre forward. And another man who did that uh, was uh, the UK's own David Platt, who, you sure. know, he says, it, he says that if he didn't score that goal against Belgium, uh, he'd never have moved to Italy. But, you know, he's, arguably, as Francesco says in an article there, he's probably the most successful Englishman to have played in Serie A. Probably, you know, obviously Gascoigne had the plaudits, but, uh, you know, he actually had a really good career. Um, rising star in the UK, PFA Player of the Year in 1990. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously we know about that goal, but uh, the irony of it, he also obviously scored against Cameroon. But then in the third place playoff, which was at San Nicola, Barry yeah, Stadium, exactly. he did score um, a cracking header, actually, past Zenga. Uh, then obviously he, you know, he ends up being um, moved to to Bari when Bari smashed their transfer record uh, 5.5 million in, at the time it huge. is big money it's yeah, big especially money for a team like Bari I mean that, that, that's, that, that's probably every other player combined in, in that one figure <laughs> there absolutely absolutely and he impressed so much uh, you know that's obviously he moves to Sampdoria then he went to Juventus as we know uh, yeah, won the uh, UEFA Cup and uh, yeah, and then uh, well, that was his best was, season in Italy. Was yes. Bari, in my opinion, because in the four years he was there, as you said, he moved on. But um, he came over what in his mid twenties. He kicked it all off with a penalty against Torino, wonderful finish against Lazio at the San Nicola. The footage of him running off at hundred miles an hour yeah. is iconic. The, the, the best one for me is the overhead finish away at, at Ascoli for two two yeah. in the eighty seventh minute. That was. Superb, the ball coming in from a corner, headed back across the goal and Platt beat two defenders standing on the line along with the keeper uh, to get that in and, and, and nick a point uh, back in, you know, when the competition was uh, two points for a win, one for a draw. Uh, there was a brace to win it at home against Roma 2-1 uh, that he scored. He won it, you know, on, on his own back. And there's a point that, that, that's going to come a little bit later that I want to make. Uh, about Platt dragging his team uh, around by himself. I mean, the, but those goals against Roma, the first one, a brilliant volley, and then an 86-minute rebound slide 
kind of tap in. Uh, later in the campaign, he slotted the winner for 2-1 against Ascoli. He, he, you know, he did the dirty to Ascoli again. <laughs> 89th minute goal at home in Bari. Uh, his final Bari goal was side-footed in on the left away at Atalanta uh, to open the scoring. Um, you know, but he moved on. It definitely had a superb season there. He moved on. I think Bari made a, a million quid on him, so at least they got a good return. He only scored three goals at Juventus. Um, you know, but he did win the UEFA Cup there with that team. Mm. Uh, nine and then eight goals in his uh, two consecutive years at Sampdoria in uh, between 93 and 95. And he won a Coppa Italia there before returning to England with uh, Arsenal. A stunning uh, team, that Arsenal side as well. They won the FA Cup and Premier League in 97, 98. So what a player he was for, for so many clubs. I think his best year in Italy was with Bari. Yeah. And although he is remembered fondly by Sampdoria supporters and, and even Juventus supporters, although he didn't do as much there, he did return to Italy. Uh, <laughs> Sampdoria for a few games. Yeah, that didn't work out, did it? <laughs> didn't work out. I think um, zero wins, uh, three draws, three losses. Um, and then he, he came back again um, roughly, you know, what, 2015-16 for, for Palermo as a consultant. You know, he speaks fluent Italian, obviously, uh, spending yeah. so many years there. And uh, for me, yeah, definitely. I'm not, not even English, but uh, yeah, uh, definitely England's uh, most important player. And uh, what a stint he had at Bari. Uh, how many goals did he score? He was the couple Canoniere. And um, let's see how many goals old David Platt scored at Bari. was 11 in that season and he was you know he was <laughs> in that season there he's mm. the leading goal scorer and they get relegated and it's just crazy it's crazy and that was a sign that he carried the team by himself to a certain point and perhaps needed more from his teammates to stay up and you know when he was you know he they made money on him he left and then the team had to this restructure and come back up from Serie B I think he is underrated in some respects. I mean, first of all, just one thing I wanted to say is some of the football Italian coverage and the, the stints, the little, um, little little jokes he did with James Richardson, and when he's not that type of character, he's not that Gascoigne character, he really came out of himself and did did well. But, you know, you talk about this guy as a midfielder, and even in his early career when he gets 50 goals for uh, Aston Villa, you know, 121 appearances, you said he's top scorer uh, from that midfield position, but he's one of those players who almost played as a forward uh, you know I mean obviously it's like I was saying before about Kenneth Anderson then he did move to being a forward Platt always says you know he's a midfielder and he even played almost a defensive midfielder at some points for Arsenal but it was um, really really outstanding time I think at Bari and I think that's when he's noticed they obviously wanted to get someone and it just shows the levels of Italian football after Italian 90 as well because you know, uh, for a player who had such a good tournament and if people wanted him to go to Bari and everyone just wanted to go to Italy um, okay, one more midfielder. Um, Thomas Dahl played from 96 to 1998. And it says here, Francesco says, uh, Dahl is the only foreigner in this list whose first Italian experience wasn't with Bari. So it's a quite an interesting point there yeah. that everyone else has had, you know, used Bari as a stepping stone uh, had gone on. But of course, he played for Lazio. Um, and it, he was at Lazio because of um, Paul Gascoigne's injury, of course. Uh, yeah. He wasn't supposed to be there, and then Gascoigne gets injured, and Thomas Dog came in and did a, arguably a, a better a better job. Maybe not as an iconic job, but um, a better job. Well, but of course, also because Bari went down and he joined, mm. uh, Dog joined Bari in Serie B and brought them back up. Yeah, completely. Um, I mean, Francesca points out obviously Dog was part of the German side that lost in Euro '92. It should have probably been at the World Cup two years earlier, but obviously he's born in East Germany, so. Uh, West Germany won the World Cup, so that wasn't to be. Um, what are we thinking of? T oh, sorry, after you. Well, well, I mean, I mean, I've named most of my midfield alternatives, but if if you're going to rule out Doll from the starting eleven, maybe he's got a niggling injury. Uh, I would go <laughs> with the likes of. Uh, let's see here from my list. Even Francesco Pedone could be a replacement. He was a mezzala, uh, a kind of midfielder playing on, on on the right or left. He could fill in. Three seasons at Bari from 93 until 96, seven goals. Mm. You know, he contributed. Um, but, you know, Daniel Anderson, another Swede that signed from Malmo, defensive midfielder that could also slot in. 
uh, yep. in the back line. Uh, played just under 100 games for Bari in Serie A before signing for Venezia uh, and then on to Kievo. A lot of people will remember in those noughties. But uh, yeah, Gerson, another more attacking kind of midfielder that I mentioned before. Yeah, they are my uh, solutions to Thomas Dolan midfield, but I think he merits his place in the best 11, to be honest. No, definitely. And some good options there as well. So... We've also got, well, I say, this one, uh, Francesco puts as an attacking midfielder. Later, obviously, another one to, to become a, a forward. Um, a player who, as an Inter fan, I remember at Bari for various reasons. Um, yeah. uh, Antonio Cassano, 1999 to 2001. Now, I'm going to put a caveat in here. There's another article, uh, Bari, the alternative club, by, club guide at the Gentleman Ultra, in which Luca Hodges Maramon interviews a Bari Ultra um, and they, hands down, say Antonio Cassano, numero uno. Uh, so it's going to be difficult for you to do this one. I mean, look, he debuted for them in 17-year-old in 1999. He scored, a, and as I was about to say, he scored a last-minute solo effort against Inter in just his second match. Uh, which his was career. Highlight. Yeah, his career. <laughs> it was a brilliant goal. A brilliant goal. Uh, and look, you know, it's, he thrust him into the spotlight and uh, even people calling him the new Baggio. Watch Emmett go mental from afar now. So he'll, he'll just start to, yes. you can see Emmett just getting angry because someone said something about Baggio. Um, I might be with him on that one, but yes, but Cassano yeah. was, was his own, uh, he had, he was his own entity, his own kind of deity in Italian football. Yes. Uh, you know, at specific times in his career, but at, at Bari at the time, we were looking for, a lot of people were frustrated with Del Piero, to be honest, because in that era of 1998, when Del Piero was selected mm. ahead of Baggio, well, they both went to 98, but at the World Cup I'm talking about here. Yeah. But Del Piero was the guy that was there to start. He was injured, so Baggio got a few starts, and then Del Piero started against France and caused a little bit of indigestion <laughs> in a lot of Azzurri fans. Uh, you know, so... Cassano was the hope that he was going to come in. And as we saw in 2004 in the Euros, he came through and cleaned up alongside. I think he came in with Pirlo and Gattuso in that new era of Italian midfielders, if I remember correctly. But I'll, let's go back to uh, you uh, to talk more about his body stint. Yeah, well, it was really the fact of he would only stay there for two seasons. Um, he couldn't help them, well, couldn't stop them finishing bottom in 2001. Um, and then obviously Bari get their largest ever transfer fee, selling him to Roma for 60 billion lira, which is approximately 27 million pounds then. Pre-EU, uh, 60 billion. Pre <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, twice young player, so yeah, young player of the year, whilst at the GLI Rossi, we know what he did there, uh, of course, but obviously he fell out with Fabio Capello on numerous occasions. Yeah. Um, look, you know, many people think his career was a weight of talent, but... He won silverware at Milan, Real Madrid, and Roma. Oh, that's ridiculous. Uh, what a career. And, I mean, what a career. The, the, my favourite thing about Cassano is, and actually something from Cassano, it's when, have you seen the Francesco Totti documentary? Uh, and Francesco Totti says, you know, I nearly went to Roma. And um, it's when he gets married and he comes down the steps and he's, the whole of Rome is out outside this church. And uh, they, you know, they're shouting for him to stay. And he goes, he looks around and thinks, no, Rome's my city. I can't go to Real Madrid. And then he goes, do you know who did go to Real Madrid? Him. Yeah. <laughs> and then he just shows Cassano in this massive, like almost oversized John Motson coat, yeah, looking like an absolute <laughs> pimp in here. Yeah. And it's just, he's a genius. Yeah. <laughs> But they obviously, when they played together at Roma, I mean, that was, they were just, I don't think anyone played with Francesco Totti and understood him the way they did. I mean, those guys were obviously very good friends as well. Um, <clears throat> I mean, look, yeah, that's, that's his Roma time. There's a whole podcast about that. He's but comparable for, to Zambrotta here because Zambrotta yeah. also having his breakout um, career stint at Bari, as did Cassano. And what a stint it was. And he went on to great things. He played in that Euro 2012 final. Um, and was part of that forward line with Balotelli. And, you know, two, two kind of hotheads, we could say, uh, Balotelli mm. and Cassano, and uh, similar sort of paths to, to get forward from their very early days. Of course, Balotelli's back in the 
Azzurri squad as we speak as Mancini mm-hmm. wants to pick a side going forward to play North Macedonia. But, um, yeah, Cassano, known for his hot temper, and we saw a little bit of that. He only scored half a dozen goals at Bari, but, you know, he's very, very young. That goal, as you said before, against Inter, sublime. Sublime. Yeah, it was. Absolutely. Absolutely, even from my perspective. Yeah. Okay, moving on now. Anyone, anybody who watched Channel 4 uh, Football Italia in the 90s or anyone watched it from anywhere uh, will know this name because, yeah, Igor Perotti, 92 to 96. And just because he is a cult hero of Italian football in the 90s, as Francesco said, you know, first 10 years of his career in Serie A, Serie B, he arrives freshly relegated Bari in 92. And then he's a fixture of his team in Barish promotion in 94. And he completed his first season in Serie A at the age of 26. 96, he would win Capo Caninari, sharing it with the legendary Giuseppe Signori. But Barry went down yeah. again. And, you know, look, he's the only player uh, to have finished top scoring in Serie A and be relegated in the same season. He did play for Lazio and Napoli, but and then he returned with Livorno. But, I mean, look, he did finish a top scorer in Serie C and Serie B uh, with the Tuscan club, as it says here. And only two players, excuse me, one of only two players, along with Dari Hubner, to be crowned uh, Capricanieri in all three divisions, Italian divisions. Yeah, I mean, look... Something to a, put on your CV there when you're applying yeah. for a job. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, just for, for me... I just, I just remember as a kid when you go out and you're playing football and you're commentating and you're pretending you're whatever player in Serie A, he was one that you just always remembered because yeah. he, it felt, and I know, it felt like he scored every week on the highlights. Yeah, yeah, he did. And, and it was also a question of how is this guy not getting a call up by Saki for mm-hmm. the Euros? But yeah. at the time, you have to understand, you know, Del Piero was breaking out, Casiraghi was there. Uh, there was uh, Montella uh, coming through. I guess he was too young, but uh, there was also Chiesa, uh, Yabajos, and, you know, so many good players. Signori, Zola was around, Viali was still there, Roberto Mancini, and, and I guess Igor Prati was probably in the top 15 strikers at the time. But, yeah, he did win the <laughs> Serie A top scorer award for 1995 and 96. And just like David Platt, they went down that season, and he, as you said before, he is the uh, only Serie A top scorer to have suffered relegation with his club. So, uh, you know, uh, probably not the end to his season that he wanted, but from there he went on to Lazio, where he, he still scored some decent goals, and I, I think he finished there with seven goals one of the seasons alongside, with, uh, alongside Signori in one of those uh, seasons. But he, as he, and as we said before, he finished top scorer in 95-96, along with Signori, who was at Lazio, mm. Protti was at Bari, and then he leaves Bari to go to Lazio. I mean, what a signing <laughs> that is. Absolutely. It's like, oh, well, um, this guy just, just blew everyone away in the toughest league in the world, and we're going to sign him as a backup striker for Beppe Signori, because that's effectively what he was at Lazio. But he should have been part of, uh, at least should have got a look in in a, in a, in a, in a practice match at Coverciano for Italy, or something along those lines. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but look, in, he, he did sign with Bari in 1992, I think, and not too many goals prior to um, 95. But he showed tenacity when he had to outcompete his own uh, strike partners and uh, basically... Uh, hacking some of them. As you can see, 94, he scores a goal, hacked his own player to get to the ball first to score against Genoa. And, you know, then there was an overhead kick. And this is before the season where he wins Capo Cananieri. Yeah. So the overhead kick against Fiorentina for 2-0, a heel kind of goal of a volley. Don't even know how to describe it. You just got to see the footage against Brescia. Um, top corner hit against Torino. Um, and, and this is when he was the backup striker to... Sandro Tovaglieri, who is in my list of possible alternatives, not for Protti, but perhaps for the next striker that's going to partner Protti in his best 11. Um, but uh, this man, 33 games in 1995, 96, 24 goals, five penalties, a goal every 120 minutes or so. Um, <laughs> in that season where he wins the top scorer um, award, 
I mean, I think he kicked it off with a with a strike against Napoli from 25 yards. He he sort of evaded uh, the jockeying from Andre Cruz of Napoli uh, in, in just the third minute of the season to smash to rifle one past Giuseppe Tagliatella, and you know then he went on immediately to score on match day two, match day three, match day four, and like you said, it was like every week. Yeah, you'd see him in the highlights and think, "Who is this guy? <laughs> Unbelievable!" And you know, he, he scored a hat trick against Lazio. And that's probably why they signed him the next year. Um, a free kick that w- he, you know he was he wasn't that great with free kicks over the wall to dip them and bend them in, but he could hit it. You know, back in the '90s, there were so many times you would see uh, players like Mancini and Viali sort of standing over the ball. One would touch it on for the other. Someone else would stop it, and then the the, the yeah. player to score would hit it after it took one or two touches. So that's what he was good at, but he would drive them in low at goal. Um, that's what Protti's uh, forte was with free kicks. Uh, he scored on match day four away at Piacenza, which meant that he got, the, he got all of Bari's first six goals of the campaign. So that's how important he was to that side in, in 95-96. Um, I think he also... Scored another free kick against uh, Batistuta's Fiorentina. Beat Toldo at the near post, if I remember. And of course, this one's for you, Richard. Bari beat Inter Milan 4-1. Don't giggle over the top of this, please. I don't want to hear. <laughs> it was I just... at home at the San Nicola. Inter led 1-0, by the way, I'm pretty sure. And uh, Rotti got two of the goals, including a rocket from uh, that dipped over uh, the outstretched arm of Pagliuca for 2-1. He tapped home against Juventus the next week to beat Peruzzi. I mean, what a week that is for him. Uh, a brace <laughs> away at Atalanta, who obviously weren't as big as what they are now. Uh, that Atalanta team probably had Fabrizio Ferron back, back in goals then. But um, uh, near post, top corner screamer from the edge of the box uh, to beat Cremonese. There's some cork. Would it been Zenger in goal? For, Maybe, for, for Inter, Sampdor- that was, it was Pagliuca. No, 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 sorry, no, Sampdoria. Oh, oh, for Samp. Uh, yes. Could have been, yeah, couldn't it, yeah. Uh, he capped off the season then as well against Juventus at the San Nicola with um, beating Rampulla. He was the victim that day. And then from there he went to sign for, for, for Lazio. So. Unbelievable. When we just talked about Toldo, Paluca, the goalkeepers we've just, you've just ringed off there. Yeah. You know, when you look at the defences in Serie A in that season, the, the, the strikers who could have competed for that honour and the goalkeepers he had to put them away against and the fact that he's playing for a team that isn't one of the six sisters, if you would, is just makes this achievement even more unbelievable. And there's one thing, though. Uh, we have got a video up here on Francesco's article of all the goals in that season, 1995 to 96. Sure. But I am thinking there's a stitch up here because it's actually paused on match day 16... Bari four into one. Oh yeah, I can see so the job. It yes, I'm, yes. I'm blaming our editor for this. Uh, yeah, he started it from that specific moment. That's <laughs> lovely work. Lovely work. <laughs> uh, last striker then before we call it a day. Um, look, this uh, man played between '95 and '98, and it is Nicola Ventola. Another name that many people who watched uh, Italian football in the '90s will will know of. Uh, another player, free Bari G system. Again, debuted young at 16 in 94. You know, he was, after relegation and 18 years old, he was a top scorer in that promotion winning side of 96. And again, he moved over to, uh, you know, he did well enough to secure a move to a big team. He went to Inter, uh, a decent first campaign. And then he started to be loaned out because obviously how can you compete with the likes of Christian Vieira and Ronaldo? Um, But, you know, he, he did play a key role at times at Inter, uh, at an infamous game against Juventus in the last day of the season, which is uh, another podcast. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you know, look, he, he was a, a key player in the under-21 Azuri squad that won the Euros in 2000. Now, I feel you want to take this guy out or at least give a suggestion. Look, uh, look, Ventola came in to Bari and he got to see what Protti did before Protti took off to Lazio. So um, I think... It is debatable if he keeps his, his spot in the side, but he is one of the more renowned names. Now, uh, one I mentioned before was uh, Sandro Tovaglieri. Mm-hmm. He spent three years at Bari. He scored 30 goals in 80 appearances, 80-odd. 80 um, perhaps his best ever spell at any of his 
dozen or so clubs uh, for Topa Lieri. He played at Roma and Ancona and Reggiana, Cagliari, Sampdoria as well. Um, he kept Igor Protti out of the side, which I guess there's a positive and negative to that, while Topa Lieri <laughs> was at Bari uh, in those years between 92 and 95. It wasn't until Tovalieri departed for Atalanta that Protti got his chance as the number one. Um, Tovalieri was touted as a big talent as well. He did represent Italy at under-21 level. He was part of the Roma squad. Now, I don't know if this counts uh, as, uh, as like a point to get Tovalieri into the team here, but he, he did um, win. He was part of the squad for Roma that won the Scudetto in the early mid-80s. Finished in the... T- top 10 uh, scorers charts in, in Serie A twice, once with Bardi, tied for uh, fifth on 17 uh, goals. Uh, and I think that was in 94, 95. And then in 1996, 97, when he was at Cagliari, he was fourth highest goal scorer in Serie A with 16 goals. So I know that wasn't at Bardi at the time, but he did finish tied for fifth in uh earlier in the 90s before Proti uh, obviously won the Capo Cananieri title in 96. But that is my main guy that I would suggest as an alternative to come in off the bench at least or maybe get a couple of starts. Maybe it's it's up to uh, one of the Bari coaches. I'm not sure who's going to be the coach of, of, the, um, of the decade. But, uh, you know, Tovalieri is definitely up there. 30 goals in 82 appearances. There's also João Paulo. Yes, there is. A tiny Brazilian uh, attacker signed in uh, the late 80s. Um, but he scored 19 goals for Bari. So 12 of those actually came in Bari's 1990-91 campaign as he finished uh, the club's top scorer for the second season running. Of course, in the, in the, in the first season where he won Capo Cananiere at Bari, I think it was only five or six goals. A couple of other names. Colombian guy, Miguel Angel Guerrero, who played as a second striker mainly, but he would be brilliant behind Proti. Mm. Six goals in 71 games, so you can see that he was more of that... Um, Provider, in a sense. Eddie Baggio to Roberto Baggio. You know? <laughs> um, also, Phil Massinga, probably... Yeah, Phil Massinga's a push. Yeah, South actually. African striker, uh, came to Italy for Salernitana, um, transferred to Bari... He didn't do that well at Salernitana, but he, he did ram 24 goals home for Bari in, uh, I don't know, under 100 appearances, I would assume, uh, before heading off to the United Arab Emirates. Also played at the, uh, in the Premier League with Leeds, so he, he was quite a good striker, especially for that era. You know, that's the George mm-hmm. Weah era. Um, yep. So they are my alternatives to... Not to Igor Protti, there is no disputing. Uh, but Nicola Ventola, I understand why he's in this best 11, because not only what he did at Bardi, but also what he did later in his career. For ba- basically, just solely on their Bari performance, I might go with Tovel Yeti to come off the bench for Ventola here. Yeah, I mean, 10 top scorer, 41 goals, you say. It's, it's, it's definitely a shout, that one. And as you said before, Kenneth Anderson is, is another yes, one. Yes, yeah, definitely. 33 games, 12 goals in 95-96 as a backup to Igor Perotti. Good player, Anderson, great in the air. Um, okay, well, that pretty much concludes our team. Um, but before we go, I've got a bit of a quiz question. Sure. I'll, I'll give it to you. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you can choose to answer it now or let our listeners answer it, but it wasn't in the uh, 90s, so we can't obviously add him in. But there's another striker who transferred from Aston Villa to Bari. Do you know who it is? Ooh. He just came into my mind. Now I'd completely forgotten about him. Uh, it's, uh, I, it's a tricky one. I don't think I know this, but I, I, I'm certain that he's not English. He's I'm pretty sure he was he not English? Yes he is. He's English. He's English. Okay. All right. Uh, let me have a good okay, I'll give you a bit of a I'll give you a bit of a clue. I'll give you some clues. So started off at, in nineteen eighty at Swindon, then went to Villa. He played from Bar for Bari from nineteen eighty five to eighty eight and he scored twenty three times in ninety nine appearances. So that's in a good era. Okay, so this is pre David Platt. Ah oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pre David oh, okay. Platt. Okay, I was trying to think of something after. Pre David Platt, I mean it I, I I'm stuck. Paul Rideout. 
Paul Rideout. Okay. Uh, yeah, of Everton fame in the uh, in the mid nineties. Wow. So there you go. That's a useless useless bit of information. But uh, yeah, it just came into my head then for no reason whatsoever. And just I like thought, every oh. other listener, I'm going to go and uh, look him up as well. <laughs> Let's see yeah, uh, what I can find on him. Perhaps we can do a, a part on uh, Paul Rideout. Well, that? you know, for an Englishman, he's quite well travelled. I mean, yeah, it's always a bugbear of mine that English players don't go abroad more, but he featured at Rangers. I mean, that's only north of the border, really. Uh, and then spent time in the States and in China. Yeah. Okay, I've just, uh, I've just typed him into the old internet and I've seen that he was an 80s player at Barty. Yeah. Not a bad run considering uh, 23 goals. Yeah, I think it's all right then. In 99 appearances. And uh, that's, a, that's a decent spell from Paul Rideout. And perhaps if we do an 80s best 11 for Barry, he might, he goes, he might <laughs> get in there. <laughs> that's very true. Well, on, on, that, on that bombshell, we'll, um, we will leave it. But David, listen, thank you very much for joining us. That was really enjoyable discussing. The play, the play uh, is always mine. Uh, the, the, thank you. The, the article, which was really well written by Francesco Amesbury at uh, David uh, Famesbury. I think that's it. Um, a little. I mean, it's David Francesco Amesbury. Uh, follow him on Twitter. And yes, have a look at that article. As I said, it's got the goals, all the goals of Eagle Protein, 1995 um, 96. I might just mention some... a wonderful article, by the way. I absolutely agree with you. But for those Bari fans out there, uh, I do Serie A and Serie B games commentary, but unfortunately there's no Bardi because they're in third division right now. However, they are looking like they're going to come back up to Serie B for next season. So hopefully they win automatic promotion from the third division. And for those of you who don't know, do you know who the owner is, Richard? Of Bardi? Oh God, no I don't actually. You stumped me now with a quiz question. Well, well this guy might end up with the same problem. Um, as uh, Lazio, because the Napoli president, De Laurentiis, is the owner of Bari. Ah, yes. So if they end up back in Serie B, then, um, and if they have a couple of good years, they could end up back in the first division. And uh, it's going to be on there if uh, Napoli and Bari have to play each other. So, you know. Bad, bad news for lovers of the San Nicola, because if he's going to update it anything like he's done the Diego Armando Maradona Stadium, then. Uh, could enjoy your new seats. Yeah, well, who knows? It might be a downgrade, but hopefully it's an upgrade at uh, San Nicola. And look, it could end up being another Claudio Lotito scenario uh, in, in Serie A uh, for De La Rentes. But yeah, they're, they're doing well in, in Serie C, and um, I, I'm sure that people could probably find games online, streaming services to watch the you, division. You can. Um, there is an app. It costs exactly five ninety nine a month. And it's called One Nine Six Sports, um, and Six Sports. I'm gonna type that yes, now. it's really good actually. It's um, it, it's it pretty much does. So no city of B, no city A, but anything under that, that's the place to go. Well, it's good enough for me. So uh, I might have to get on that app and and watch it. And by the and by the way, we don't we don't work for them. They don't sponsor us. It was just a nice little plug, nice little plug. Uh, David, making, before making your millions, <laughs> David, before you go, where can people find you? Uh, have you got anything coming up you want to tell anyone about? Got a couple of things in the pipelines, but uh, can't announce anything unofficial yet. But uh, yeah, I'll be back in Italy doing some Serie A and Serie B in April. So that'll be good, uh, especially as the Serie B campaign starts to heat up. That top eight starting to take shape. Although yeah, it's know, looking a good. Of, a couple of spots, at, uh, you know, six or seven that are still up for grabs. Automatic promotion could go to any one of four or five clubs. Cremonese could come back to Serie A. So we might have to do a pot on them from the 90s, uh, first time since 96 for them. That'd so, be good. But that's where they can find me. I'm also on Twitter at David Farini uh, underscore. So I'll see you guys online. Excellent stuff. Well, thank you, David, for your company. And we will be back with a new podcast very, very soon. So from us here, it's ciao for now.